Hello, everyone. I hope you're all surviving well. It looks like it's going to be spring soon, so yay. I have with me today Janet Torge, who is uh, a Jill of all trades, and everyone knows I always let my people introduce themselves. So, Janet, welcome. Hey. Can you introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, my name is Janet Torge. I live in Montreal. Um, at the moment, I am a uh, documentary TV producer, but um, I'm one of these people that flits around from career to career, job to job, depending on how I'm feeling about things. I always like to be doing something that is involving. And so sometimes when it gets like boring or, you know, I don't like it anymore, I move on. It's just how I am. So um, anyway, I'm here because part of what I've been, what I did in the past and over many years was to be a prenatal teacher and a doula. And you do many other things, but we'll not, we'll not talk about that right now. It, um, there are 13 careers here. I don't know. <laughs> That's a good number. I want me to like construction manager. <laughs> um, so when, when in um, ancient history, did you first start thinking about natural birth and women's health? Um, okay, well, the women's health came, came very early. Um, no, actually, sorry. The women's health came after I had my first kid. I had my first kid in 1975. And, uh, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about pregnancy or birth or anything like that, because I was busy in Vancouver working with uh, rape relief. And so when I got pregnant, uh, the father lived in Montreal. So I decided to come to Montreal. And basically, I came to Montreal and I knew nobody except um, my partner's friends. And, uh, and none of them had babies. So there I was, pregnant all by myself in a world of mostly men, I might add. Um, and... Uh, then what happened was is that we I got pregnant and I started doing reading and we went to a prenatal class and uh, the prenatal class was weird. Lenny, my partner, he felt very uncomfortable there. There wasn't they treated men like, you know, they weren't really part of the process. They were just supposed to sit there and, you know, help us through in some kind of way. At one point, they suggested that maybe they could take notes of when every uh, contraction was happening. But it really was, it, it wasn't very organized or anything. So I did most of it on myself. And then I had my baby. And I, I think like not very long after that, maybe six months after he was born, I said, you know what, I can do better than that. This is not rocket science. People have been having babies for years. <laughs> and, you know, so I started doing a lot of reading and basically taught myself uh, how to do a prenatal class that involved the guys. 
It was very radical at the time. So um, did you did you did you realize at some point that that birth and women's health is a feminist issue? Well, I yeah, because well, yeah, uh, mostly because well, when I was out in Vancouver, like I worked on rape relief and I worked at the Vancouver Women's Health Collective. And so like everything like that to me was a was a women's health issue. Um, but when it came to birthing, I really felt like it's a women's issue, but the partner, whoever the partner is, male, female, whatever, should be included in the process. You know, you needed two to get pregnant. You should, you know, if at all possible, there should be two people uh, having the baby, at least one for support of the woman, if nothing else. And... Um, so anyway, that I think that was my that was the main reason why I did it, because I didn't think that the prenatal classes we were having really, really talked to the two people who were having the baby. Like I, it was it was more like uh, I don't, it was more like a sports class or something, you know, like where. <laughs> You were supposed to have the contraction. The guy was there with some kind of whistle, you know, coaching you. And it, it just didn't it, it just didn't seem right to me. It wasn't real. Does that make so any sense? So describe to us what it was what it was. Yeah, absolutely. But let let us know what it was like when you were actually having babies back then and um like did you have a home birth with a midwives obviously no. not in canada they were illegal in canada but how how was how was everyone doing things okay well my first uh my first child um i would i had a natural birth because at that time 1975 i mean we were all trying to have natural childbirth because we didn't like they were just getting into things like um, fetal heart monitors and uh, the kind of drugs that were available were, um, were drugs that knocked you out. So it was, you know, it wasn't, you didn't really have a choice, you know, every, and everybody that I knew wanted to have a natural childbirth just because it was the healthiest thing to do more than anything else. And um, I went to, in Montreal, I went to a hospital called St. Mary's and we did their prenatal course. Um, so it, it was, you know, I, it didn't even occur to me to take drugs, to tell you the truth. It just wasn't in the, you know, and I felt like, and this, when I taught, uh, when I taught prenatal after that, I used to say this. I used to say to them, look, people, women all over the world have babies without drugs. What makes you so special that you need drugs? Like, it's just something that people do. They go into the fields. They drop a baby. I mean, come on. Let's go. We can do this. It's not the end of the world. And so I, like, I taught that and I went in with that attitude that I could have, that I could have a baby like anybody else could have a baby. I wasn't even special. So 
so I had the baby in the hospital. It was kind of funny because um, <laughs> I, you know, I went into labor at like, I don't know, like maybe two o'clock in the morning at home. As usual, you go to sleep and then you relax and then you go into labor. So I think we arrived at the hospital around four in the after, four in the morning. And it was, and I was, I was there, my partner was there, and two of his friends who we lived with, we lived in a kind of a commune thing. And they were also there in the waiting room. And Lenny, my partner, he would stay with me and then he would go out with his friends and they would play cards for a while. And then I, they, he would come back in. But mainly the way I did my labor was that I, I was very tired. And so I slept. And then I would wake up with a contraction and do the contraction. And then as the contraction went away, I would go back to sleep. And I did that for, I don't know, until about 930 when it was time to push. And then it was time to push. The doctor came in and he said, okay, it's time to push. I'm just going to break your water. And I said, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> you cannot break my water. And so I pushed for another hour. Basically, I was pushing the water bag. Uh -huh. And finally, he came and he said, Janet, this is ridiculous. I'm breaking the water. The kid is right there, but you're, it's, he's not moving because you're pushing the water bag. So I let him break the water and then Riel sort of blew out of <laughs> my uterus. I mean, it was like, boom, out he came. Um, there was a problem with that. And, you know, I, I shouldn't have done that because, because he was in the water bag and I was pushing so long, uh, he actually got some of the meconium. He swallowed some of the meconium. And so they, when they saw that they, uh, he was, he was having a little bit of trouble breathing. And so they took him away from me and they took him down to the children's hospital. And I did not see him for four days. I was in a room with three other women who were all with babies and, you know, to breastfeed and all this kind of yeah. stuff they're all by myself and you know it never occurred to me that I could actually go down to the children's hospital and see my kid I mean it it, it just it didn't occur to me like on the one hand I on the one hand I was a very firm feminist on the other hand I sort of did what I was told <laughs> So Lenny went down and bonded with uh, Riel and was there most of the time and feeding him and stuff. And then I saw him like, I don't know, three days, four days later and sort of had to introduce. I remember introducing myself to him. Hello, I'm your mother. <laughs> You'd like to have a boob? <laughs> so anyway, that was you know that was my first birth experience it was it was weird so how do you see over the years i know that you did prenatal classes for a long time then you stopped for a little bit and then you started up again how how like 
Okay, so you're not unique. Many other women ha gave had the same kind of childbirth experience you did in the 70s yes. in a hospital with certain restrictions and the weirdness of taking the baby away and all that. Right. So, could I just say that my next uh, birth was at home. I learned my lesson at least. So yeah. Sammy was born at home. So, so... How did how have you seen things change over the years from when you were having babies and when and from when you were working with pregnant women and, and doing prenatal classes? What do they want? Uh, what did they want then? What do they want now? How have their attitudes changed? How has the infrastructure changed? What what do you see? Well, I don't I have to say that I don't uh let's just put it in context. I taught prenatal for about for about five or six years in the in the 70s and opened up a natural birth clinic and you know everything and it was really my fight was my fights were with the hospitals and I went to I went to about 100 births making sure that you know when they went in for a natural childbirth they came out with a natural childbirth if possible so i uh, you know that's what i did i i was i guess i was a doula i didn't even know they didn't have the name doula back then mm -hmm. but i went with everybody that was when you did my prenatal i would go to your birth then then we have to go. Then I didn't do anything. I was off. I stopped doing prenatal because two kids and uh, going to birth, it, it just doesn't work. Uh, and they were two boys, too. So, I mean, it, it nearly killed me. So I stopped. <laughs> gave up my, I, I turned my, my business because I had a prenatal business out of uh, the San Fermi Youth Clinic in Montreal. I turned it over to this woman, Granya who was a midwife from uh, Britain. So she took over and, and did it. And then, so then you have to skip 30 years, basically, when my kid, my first kid, he and his friends started having births and he became a sort of my publicity. He said, oh, my mom teaches prenatal. My mom teaches prenatal. So uh, so then I started doing prenatal again and also started working with the Montreal Birth uh, Companions, which you did. The difference was phenomenal. I could not believe it. The women and the men were all the same. They wanted to have a natural childbirth, just like we did in the 70s. I couldn't see any difference there. So... My prenatal class was pretty much the same prenatal class that I was doing back then. But the atmosphere in the, uh, in the hospitals was, I mean, there was just no support for this whatsoever, number one. And number two, I hate to say this, but I found the women not nearly as dedicated to having a natural childbirth as we were back in the day. Um, they're just, it was like, I think in the seventies, because there was a whole social, you know, revolution or whatever you want to call it happening at the same time, this was just another thing we were fighting to change.
Whereas 30 years later, that wasn't what was going on with young women. They weren't like fighting to change the way births were done, at least not the ones that I, not the ones that I, the people that I gave prenatal to. They wanted natural childbirths, absolutely. But they, they didn't fight for them in the same way. And I have to say, my cesarean rate when I was doing prenatal with you was about 60-70%. And it, 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 just, it, it just took all of the, it, it took all of the, I don't know, all the motivation away from me. It was partly that the women weren't fighting and it was partly that the hospitals gave you absolutely no, no margin of error. They didn't want a doula around. They found the doula was competitive with the nursing support. And the doctors, especially the young doctors, were very into technology. Why would you go through labor if you could have a cesarean? We, we know how to do them now. It's just very easy. Why would you go through this? And they convinced the women. So that was, you know, that was, I, it, it just didn't inspire me anymore. Do you understand? I do. And I'm looking at it and I'm trying to figure out what happened. And I'd also like to let you know that I think that there's been a turning point. Um, and I think that possibly because of COVID um, and a pandemic and a hospital being a place where sick people go, I feel like there's a change. I'm getting more and more calls from women who are actually really motivated and, and dedicated. Um, recent. Sorry? Is it recent? Very recent. It's actually since, um, well, since like three, three months into COVID. Women are realizing they don't want to go to the hospital just because of, you know, it's oh. the hospital's a place for sick people, yes, exactly. you know, and and they don't want to, like, get bossed around by a midwife and have to, like, get that, rid of their kids so they can have a home birth or whatever. So, so I'm finding that the women that were going to be radical that kind of fell asleep over those, like, 10 years or 15, 20 years are waking up. But I also think, though, yeah, but they could go back to sleep when COVID is over and hospitals are seen differently. Yep. That's one reason I want to talk to you, because I want to get our foot in the door, because <laughs> I do know that uh, the women that are that are that those women that we were working with that were suffering, you know, unnecessary C-sections and and things that they didn't want being done to them just because they didn't fight harder doesn't mean that they that they deserved it and those women are traumatized of course of course not but that's but the thing is there has to be uh there has to be a real dedication to understanding the importance of a natural childbirth and number one and number two there have to me there has to be a discussion about pain in our society. Absolutely. 
because this is one of the things I noticed is that the women that I went with 30 years later, they folded at the first, at the first hint of pain. And it's because we don't have pain in our society anymore, I don't think. We don't have pain, or we don't talk about it. Yes. We don't have risk, or we talk about it only mathematically. That's, yes. I mean, that's one thing that really came out with this pandemic. Yes. And we don't know how to talk about death. So the women that I'm, talk I'm talking to now, they know that death might be part of birth, but they don't want to go in pretending that it's all going to be bubble wrapped if they go into the hospital. Well, then see that, I mean, that's, that's one step forward because it's, uh, I mean, 99% of the births are fine. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. The thing about it is, is that, you know, it was just, I saw so many, I saw so many women like the minute that, They've never had pain like that. Okay. None of us have ever had pain like that. <laughs> like it's not a unique thing. I mean, we just don't have pain like that. But there was, it, it's not just the pain. It's the understanding the point of the pain. And that it's, you don't take it away because the, the, healthy babies come out of that pain and you need every minute of it. So, so what's the way forward? I don't know what the way forward is. I mean, there has, when I gave birth, there was a movement going on and we fought very hard against the doctors and against nurses nurse ratchets and all of them it was it was a movement and it wasn't just oh i'd really like to have a natural childbirth no it was like you want to have a natural childbirth you're going to have to like really get into it you're going to have to commit there there i don't know I don't know what the, to tell you the truth, I don't know what the way forward is. Uh, because people are, you know, it has to be part, when we were doing it, it was part of a bigger, uh, like a bigger movement to change things. You know, let's get out. You don't let's get out of the war in Vietnam. We don't have to do that. Let's have relationships that we want, not ones that we have to go into and stay for the rest of our lives if it's horrible. You know, there were all these different kinds of changes going on, and it fit really beautifully into that. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't, you know, it's it's we're more scattered now. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's how I see it. But you know what? I'm too old now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really am. Like, I, you know, like, you know, I'm into, you know, I'm into protecting seniors. Oh, <laughs> I know. I know. So I'm I was going to ask you a question about that. But I, I want to intervene just for one minute, though, because I think that, yes, you're too old to really care that much about it. But you have a. Uh, uh, a fountain of like you you have knowledge that I think that it's important to 
to to talk about so that we can realize that you know that we did one step forward and then why did we do two steps back what what happened um what happened if i i think what happened was that we got half a loaf from the hospital mm. they gave us well number one half a loaf Number two, technology intervened. Mm-hmm. And we did, there was never, ever, ever a conversation when I was giving birth that if I was going to do a natural, it might not be um, safe. Safety never came into it. It was a choice. If you, you know, was it, it was a choice to do it that way. Nobody said, if you have a natural childbirth, it might not be as safe. No, it wasn't that. It was, it was a, a, a choice. And we didn't have that much technology either. Like they were just starting with the, um, with the fetal heart monitors. And nine times out of ten, you know, the fetal heart monitors didn't even work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so, but now the technology is such that it's, it's part of that whole natural process. You know, I mean, the number of, the number of births that are, oh God, I forgot the word. What's the word when they, when they start your birth for you because you're induced, induced. I mean, when when we were doing it, women were having babies at 44 weeks. Their mothers had babies at 44 weeks because, you know, because yeah. they didn't know exactly when the period started. And what what happened? When did it happen that you had to have your baby out by 40 weeks? Babies grow at different amounts of time. <laughs> And, but, you know, no, you know, it's 40 weeks. And then, you know, if you're over 40 weeks, then they start with it. Well, you know, it's not that safe and blah, blah, blah. No, it's 39 weeks now, Janet. You're behind the times. No kidding. No. 39? Yeah. For older women. God. Anyway, I mean, that that's like, I think if we could go back, I mean, maybe if there was a big you know, um, a big movement for home births or something like that for non-technological births, but you'd have to prove that technological births are not safe in order for it to happen because we don't have enough babies. Each of us only has one or two babies, so we're not going to take a chance. Mm-hmm. Well, so, that, it comes back to the thing of risk that I that I mentioned. Yes, yes. But let me ask you, what, what, did, what did the hospitals give you? Like, what, how was the relationship different back then when you went in with someone? Because um, you were fighting, you just said you were fighting against the doctors and nurses. And nurses. With everybody else's birth, I was. Um, well, the, the, see, the fight back then was the fight over technology. And so, you know, the, the fetal heart monitors didn't work and they didn't, 
they were doing episiotomies. You know, the only people that didn't get episiotomies were the ones whose nurses happened to be midwives. So I, you know, I don't know if the technology just wasn't, it was more rickety. <laughs> so you could actually, you know, make a stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could find, you could still find nurses in the hospital who had watched tons of natural births. So you didn't have, you know, so it wasn't like, a, you know, it, it wasn't like this big thing if you had a natural birth. When, when I started doing it 30 years later, I went in with this one couple and she, she was real. she wanted to have a natural birth no matter what. And so I was with her that whole time. And when it turned, when people on the floor heard that she was having a natural childbirth, five doctors came in to watch because they'd never seen a natural childbirth. Yeah. I mean, it was ridiculous. And she was really upset because she didn't want to have a, her birth in front of an audience. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the, and the doctor said to her, boy, I wouldn't want to meet you in an alley if you're having a natural child. I mean, really. Yikes. It was, and that was, when was that? That would have been 2000. 2007 or something? Uh, I know that, no, no, 2011. Oh, yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she's, uh, that baby is 10 or 11 now. That's all. Wow. Okay. So I, you know, I, 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 sorry, I don't have an answer for how to change it around. I think, you know, I think it has to be a movement again. I think there has to be a movement. Well, I see a movement starting. It's starting very small, but I do see it. So I'm pretty excited about it. Oh, that's great. I mean, I'm... Yeah. I did 100% even if I don't work in it. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I, I, we, need, we need everyone to be behind us. So um, what, where, did your, where did your radical urge go? If, if, if birth wasn't, uh, wasn't any more there for you, what, what's there for you now? Oh, well, now I'm, now I'm trying to... Uh... Now I'm trying to get senior, get people to recognize that you don't, that you don't have to be put in an institution when you become a senior. This is my new thing because, well, apart from the pandemic, which killed off a lot of people because they were in institutions that, you know, were just very expensive and very dangerous. I'm, I'm going further than that and saying that, yes, when we get older and we're aging, we do need support, but we also need to recognize that we're still having lives. And you can't have a life inside an institution. It's impossible. It's, they're like prisons. And... No, who, who, when you, if you get to be my age, really, you want to live with all people your own age? No. It just doesn't make any sense. So I'm doing this thing called radical rest homes. 
which is which are smaller homes for seniors to live together, but to also recognize that you can do something when you're a senior. <laughs> I know it's a very radical thought, um, but the idea is that we'll live with uh, younger people or single parent families or uh, refugees or immigrants who come to town and who you know, people who need help so that there's an interdependence so that seniors can have a purpose in their lives and help other people. And then the other people can get, can, you know, can have that support and learn from the wisdom of the seniors. So that's what a radical rest home is. And that's what I'm trying to do. And I'm also trying to revamp healthcare for seniors because that's another thing that annoys me to the, it, it just annoy, it more than annoys me that uh, you have to, everything is medicalized. And a lot of times when you're getting older, you know, you just like, you don't need to be put in a hospital all the time. You can just, you might just need help to go from one room to another. You know, it's not, it's not, Anyway, it's just I want to revamp healthcare because a lot of people, when they get older and they they need some kind of help, then they're just dumped in an institution. And from from what I've seen of institutions, they don't even get the help they need there, and yeah. it's fortune. So, it's a pretty big undertaking. Um, but uh, but there's a lot of there's you know there's movement there's a movement going on for this a lot of and you know baby boomers which is me um, you know we're not the most compliant generation <laughs> and so I keep saying to people when they say well yeah but you know like you can find good you know senior residences and I said no you can't and I said you know what. You don't want us in there. We are we are going to be a pain in your butt. You know, if, if we don't like it, we're going to try and change it. So we're we're you know, I'm trying to make it so we don't even have to go into those places. And funny, if you meet anybody who's like 70 or older, you can actually use the term those places, and we all know what it means. That's mm. But I I see so many similarity, similarities between the way our culture treats old people and the way our culture treats both in women. You know, you're infantile. You don't know anything about your own body. You don't know what you want. You have to go into an institution. We know better than you. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's true. It's true. But the thing about it, and it's true, you have to, you just have to keep doing, uh, having the movements to make it so that they... I mean, it's the whole society is not set up to listen to, you know, ordinary people. That's just not how it is. So you you have to you always have to fight for these for these big um, changes in your life when you're making a change or when you're when you're not. I don't know when you're not. Well, I want to say when you're not in the prime of your life, because I think. When you're, when it's just a matter of like, no, I can't say that. 
I take that back. You can wipe that off the tape. We might. We might not. Well, it's just... What were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, like, when... There was a period in my life, and probably in most other people's lives, when your kids are, are, I don't know, maybe they're in grade school, and you've got a job, and everything's going fine. When you don't really... when you take a break from the fight, mm-hmm. what fight is. Yeah. And then something happens, you know, but it, but it depends because I've been lucky in that I've never had a lot of money, but I've always had enough money not to have to fight to survive. If you're fighting to survive, it's a lifelong fight of people trying to hold you back and you not find each other. It's horrible. And I guess, you know, and if you're, you know, if you're a person of color, it's a lifelong fight, you know, but me, I've been very lucky. I've had little periods in my life when I haven't had to fight. But, you know, now I'm, now that I'm over 70, it's going to be a fight right to the end. Because then I, I also have to fight to die when I want. I'm going to have to fight for the kind of health care I want. I'm going to have to fight for the housing that I want. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just going to be fight, fight, fight. Well, you're a fighter and you're so someone that we might... can really look up to that, because of that. I just think it's such a well, shame no. that people... In when they're giving birth and when they're when they're maybe ill, like you know, when they're like, let's say a seventy-five-year-old is ill, and that's no time to have to fight. And when you're having a baby as well, like that's no time to have to fight. It's no time to have to fight, but that's that's why you need a movement so yeah. that you, as individual, do not have to to fight when you're vulnerable. You know, I, I wish I could get medical rest homes off the ground a little faster, but, you know, it, it's a big fight because I'm fighting against developers with money who are putting up these residences and governments that want to throw us into them. And, you know, it's not, you know, everybody loves my idea of radical rest homes, but absolutely no one will give us money. They just won't. There are too many. There are too many large projects that people have invested time and money into, and they're not going to. Even from the pandemic, what are they doing? You know, all these people died in those residences from the pandemic. What are they doing? They're tinkering with it. Maybe we'll add a few more. You know, workers in there. Maybe we'll. You know, that is not. You know, that that those things need to be completely redesigned or even torn down. But that's not going to happen. Well, I think bringing it back to birth, I think that um, there's a lot in the way to, there's a lot that, that people are resistant to when it comes to a woman giving birth in her own home, in her own way. But you see, yes, but... 
I think you can, you like, it's probably easier for you to make pro progress by convincing women, you know, to just go ahead and do it without the rest of the people, you know, without anybody else. That's how the first movement started. They just went ahead and had births the way they wanted to. That's what they're doing. Well, then that's, that's what, what they, they, that's what should be. Exactly. Because the, you know, the doctors aren't, you know, they've got their, they've got everything in their place and they've got the way they do things and their procedures and their equipment and it's all set up for us. And so that was, you know, that's why I gave up, you know, doing prenatal because me and the prenatal classes and the people, it was fine. But the minute we walk into a hospital, we had to have their birth. We couldn't have our birth. They had to have their birth. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy there's a movement and I'm happy women are staying home and they're taking their lives into their own hands and their babies both into their own hands. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I want to ask you, um, a question that I ask all, all of my people. Um, yeah. If you just had one word to share with, uh, with the women that are listening, what word would it be? One word. I am not a woman of one word. Uh, <laughs> never have been. Hold on a second. Let me think. One word. Can it be one phrase? Okay, we'll let you have a phrase just because you're old. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think the phrase would be, you can do it. That's perfect. Thank you. I'm glad I let you have a phrase. <laughs> That's it. That's the, that's the thing. It's you can do it. Yeah. With the emphasis on you can do it. We don't need anybody else. You can do it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Janet. Thank you for having me. I loved it. I haven't been back there for a long time in my mind. <laughs>